whether you love Christmas or hate it depends on your perception of it. There's three ways to perceive it. You can perceive it with a commercialized lens, and if you do, it's actually quite stressful. Probably the most stressful time of the year. You got Christmas shopping, and all the traffic fights and wars you have to get in and try to get a parking spot to get in somewhere to buy something. You got holiday parties you get dragged to that you don't want to go to, having to talk to people you don't want to talk to, having to eat food you don't want to eat, having to endure with the small talk and the minutia of people around you that you're never going to see again. And you got to do it because there's stress to go to holiday parties. You got to decorate your house. My wife put our tree up yesterday. I said, Lord Jesus, you got it done before December. It's a Christmas miracle. And you've got the, the, the financial strain, feeling the pressure to get gifts and that sort of thing. And this stress gets so intense, you can actually feel it on people. You can feel the stress on people that are viewing the Christmas season from a commercialized lens. Another way to perceive it is through the lens of nostalgia. You know, you have some people that growing up when they were little, there were some family members that made Christmas really special for them, magical even. But as time goes by, those same family members either aren't what they used to be or they've passed away and they're not here anymore. And so if you try to view Christmas through the lens of nostalgia, disappointed. If you try to view Christmas through the lens of nostalgia, you end up being disappointed. Because the buildup is great, because in your mind, with the nostalgia in the back of your mind, you imagine what it's going to be like, and then the event actually gets together, and everyone gets together, and it doesn't return the same thing you were expecting. And nostalgia can leave you with disappointment and sadness. So commercialized perception leaves you stressed and financially drained. Nostalgic perception leaves you sad and disappointed. But there's a third way to perceive it. You can perceive Christmas, and this is a choice, incidentally. You can perceive Christmas through the biblical narrative and praise God for each truth it reveals. Throughout the Christmas story, the scripture is loaded with perceptible truths. And if you go through each one and you treasure and ponder each one, then the true joy of the season begins to flow out of you and gets all over everyone around you. So number one, the first perceptible truth of Christmas and of the Christmas story is appropriate fear and then the freedom from it. Appropriate fear and the freedom from it. You may have noticed when we were reading the scriptures Zacharias sees an angel telling him about what God's going to do. First thing, he's gripped with fear. Angel appears to Mary. She's greatly troubled. The angel appears to the shepherds. They are terrified. Why? Because the scripture says each time the angel appeared that the glory of the Lord came with the angel. Why does the glory of the Lord appearing always incite fear? It's not just these people. You remember Moses when the glory of the Lord came and the bush caught on fire and God began to speak from the burning bush? Moses was terrified. God had to tell him, don't be afraid. 
You remember Joshua when the people were beginning to take the land of promise and the angel appeared? Joshua drew his sword. He was so scared. And the angel had to tell him, don't be afraid. What is it about the glory of the Lord appearing to people that makes them afraid? It reminds us, the glory of the Lord reminds us that, number one, we are not in control. The glory of the Lord is a distinct reminder to many of us who happen to be control freaks and like to control every aspect of our lives. The glory of the Lord coming and God revealing his presence to you in a powerful way reminds you, hey, you are not in control of your own life. The second thing the glory of the Lord does is it exposes our sin. Always the glory of the Lord exposes sin. The original sin centered around the desire for Adam and Eve to take control of their own lives. Every sin that's been committed since then is rooted in that same desire. I want to have control over my life, control over what I do with my mind and my sexuality and my behavior and all of the things that I want to do with my life. I don't care what God has to say about that. I want to do marriage my way. I want to do raising children my way. I want to do finances my way. I am in control. But then one encounter with God brings the crashing revelation to you quickly that you are not in control. And after falling into that original sin, disobeying God, seeking for control of their own lives for a moment, just a moment, the creations forgot they had a creator. The clay forgot that it belonged to the potter. But then the voice of the Lord came walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And God said, Adam, where art thou? What was Adam doing? He was hiding. God said, why are you hiding? He said, because I was naked and I was afraid. What happened? The glory of the Lord exposed him. And the glory of the Lord made him know he was not in control. And because of that, he was afraid and he hid. The light of the glory of God exposes our sin, the wickedness of our hearts, the things we try to cover and we try to hide. One moment in the presence of God, it's instantly exposed. Everything is naked and open before him. And then number two, you just, you're not in control. Now, Exposure and lack of control are the only two components of fear. Because what's scary if you're in control of it? What's scary if it can't expose you? Exposure and lack of control are the only two components of fear. The presence of God brings both of those down to bear. That's why Job said, when I consider the Lord, I fear him. Why? That's why Zechariah, Mary, and the shepherds were all terrified by his presence. Why? Because his presence revealed we're sinful and we're not in control. But this is an appropriate fear. Because without the fear of standing exposed and guilty before a righteous God who has all control, then the gospel would not be good news. The scripture says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's an appropriate fear. When God was really about to tell them something great, he scared the hell out of them first and then gave them the good news. 
And you can't walk with God by faith if you don't have a healthy fear of the Lord. If you don't realize that it's appointed unto every single one of us, a time to be born, a time to die, and after the judgment, one day you will stand before God, the judge of all. And when you stand there, you will be totally exposed, and you will have no control. And your eternity depends on did you make the right decision in your life concerning Jesus Christ, concerning the Word of God. And if you have no fear of that, your faith won't amount to anything. It's appropriate fear. But then in Luke 2, 10 and 11, oh, I'm still in Luke 1. Yeah, Luke 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So they're terrified. The angel each time says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. That's where we get gospel from. The word gospel means good news. Do not be afraid. I'm bringing you gospel that will cause great joy for all people. Next verse. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Next verse. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Verse 13. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, next verse, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. I like this translator, this translation better than the King James. The King James says, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And if you're not careful, when you read peace on earth, goodwill toward men, you will think that what the angel is saying is that the arrival of Jesus Christ in the earth will bring peace, the end of war, the end of conflict, the end of violence, the end of malice, and, and create goodwill toward men, you know, goodwill from brother towards brother and, and neighbor towards neighbor and country towards country. And ladies and gentlemen, if that was the promise, it was a lie. Because since the coming of Jesus Christ, there's been so many wars, so much bloodshed, it's unbelievable. The coming of Jesus Christ did not create peace on earth. It created peace from heaven's perspective. Because you must understand we are born in sin, shaped in iniquity. There's evil and wickedness buried down in our heart and soul. And because of our sin nature, we were at war with a holy and a righteous God. Paul says we were enemies with God, alienated from his promises. Romans 8 says that the carnal, the flesh, the sinful nature that we have is at enmity. The word enmity means constant war with God. It's not subject to the word of God. Neither indeed can it be. So in our state, fallen in sin, we were at war with God, at war with his will, at war with his way. Evil that was in us was declaring war against heaven. But when Jesus Christ came and was born unto us, born inside of the broken family of mankind, he created a peace treaty between the earth and heaven. God signed a peace treaty with us when Jesus Christ was born. And the first perceptible truth of Christmas is that when we we're standing exposed and guilty before God, the judge of all. A savior was born to us. And Christmas celebrates the inception of the incarnation. God with us, not against us. 
peace, good news, and we no longer have to be afraid. The second perceptible truth from this text is that God sends extraordinary news through ordinary vessels. Look at verse 16, Luke 2, 16. These shepherds hurried off and found Mary, Joseph, and the baby who was laying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. Now you got two things here. Notice the process. You have the angels speaking to the shepherds. And then you have the shepherds speaking to everybody else. Now, it's not hard to receive a word from God when an angel shows up and manifests physically. The light of the glory of God begins to shine all around him. He begins to call your name and speak directly to you. It's not hard to get your shout on when you're hearing a word from God from an angel. But only the shepherds got a word from the angels. Everybody else got a word from the shepherds. Just ordinary shepherds. Not supernatural, not scholars, not special, just shepherds. Don't miss the ordinary way God sends his word to most people. And many people struggle with this. They struggle with receiving God's supernatural, powerful word through an ordinary vessel. But Mary stands out as a model for how to receive a word from God. Because you have to remember... In Luke 1, Mary heard from an angel herself. But in Luke 2, after hearing the word from the shepherds, the scripture says in 2.19 that she treasured and pondered that word in her heart. And I love that Mary didn't ignore the shepherds just because she had heard from an angel. She took the words that they were speaking as the words of God, and she treasured them and she pondered them. Treasured means to keep alive and to nurture. Pondered means to connect and place in context of your life. And if you're not doing that with the word of God that's coming to you, you're losing so much. If you're not, when you receive the word, if you're not treasuring it, to keep, you're keeping it alive, nourishing it, speaking it back to yourself, listening to it again, thinking about all the context of it, that you're not really keeping what God is sending to feed your spirit and keep you alive spiritually. And then ponder, after you treasure it, you nurture it, you let it grow in you, then you got to connect it and place it in the context of your life. You got to tie it to what's going on with you and understand what God is saying. If God's going to speak to you, most likely he's not going to tap you on your shoulder and speak in an audible voice while you're driving down the road. God speaks to us through his word and through the hearing of the preaching of his word. So every time you come to church, there's something you need to take away, treasuring and pondering. Because God wants to speak to the situation that's going on in your marriage, the situation that's going on in your health, the situation that's going on in your family, your finances. God has something to say about it, but you may not be getting it because of the lack of treasuring and pondering. Mary, Mary said, I want it all. If you got a word from me, shepherd, lay it on me. I'm going to treasure it. I'm going to ponder it. I'm not going to let the fact that you're ordinary cause me to miss the extraordinary news that is coming out of your mouth. I need something from God in this moment. I'm stressed out. I have all kind of enemies against me. And if you got something to say, I'm going to pull on you. I want it all. I'm going to treasure it 
and ponder it. And then verse 20 says, The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. Say it with me. Heard and seen. What made them praise and glorify God? They praised and glorified God when they saw what they had heard. Point number three, God will always let you hear about it before you see it. I was writing this point. I was thinking about Del Rico. Del Rico, long before they ever had a baby, he had a dream. And he saw the baby, what she would look like and all that. And he heard the baby talking. Now, there was a promise that was coming in his future. But before he got to see it in his life, God let him hear about it. God whispered it to him and then let him see what he had heard. If you mark every miracle in your life, it will happen that way. God will always let you hear it first before you see it. That's why every time you come to church, you ought to pull on the word of God from whoever is preaching. Come on, preacher, and let me hear what I'm about to see. Come on, preacher, tell me what's coming in my future. You don't need to go to a psychic or a tarot card reader. The Word of God speaks your future. God will always let you hear about what you are going to see. And I want to tell you before I move any further, there's some great things coming in your life next year. God sent me here to let you hear about it before you see it. Some of the strain and some of the struggle that you've been through in 2019 has been God building your inward muscles to get you ready to handle the capacity and the weight that he's going to bring in your life in the coming year. What you've been going through that you've been calling hell and warfare has been training and preparation because God is such a good steward. He won't pour out weight on something that doesn't have the strength and stability to maintain the weight once it is poured out. It's going to be a big year. It's going to be a year of promotion. It's going to be a year of blessing. It's going to be a year of family wholeness and God putting things back together that have been broken down and broken apart. And you hear about it. Before you see it. That's what God did with Elijah. He was in the middle of a drought. And he said, he said, go tell them it's going to rain. It hadn't rained in three and a half years. Elijah went up there and he said, God said it's going to rain. They laughed at him and looked at him like some of you looked at me when I just spoke that word. And telling me 2020 is going to be a great year. 2019 has been the most hellacious year of my life. He said, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. And then he went to praying because there weren't no clouds forming in the sky. He kept saying, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. It's going to rain. And then went back to praying because there was no clouds in the sky. And he sent his servant. He said, go watch the sky, and I'm going to pray until a cloud forms. And the servant went, and he looked. And he went back and he said, there ain't no clouds in the sky. And Elijah sent him back seven times. And I'm convinced on the seventh time, the servant didn't see a cloud. He was just tired of running back and forth. And he goes and he tells Elijah, well, there is a little cloud the size 
of a man. Who ever heard of a cloud the size of a man's hand? You can't see a cloud in the sky that's the size of a man's hand, liar. There is a little cloud it's the size of a man's hand. But then God let Elijah hear something. Elijah said, oh, my God, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. God let him hear it before there was ever a cloud formed in the sky. And I'm preaching this because some of you the last couple of months have been walking around and you've been wondering if you're crazy and losing your mind because you've been hearing stuff in your spirit about a life that doesn't look anything like what you're seeing when you open your eyes. You're seeing lack and poverty, but you hear the sound of abundance. You're seeing sickness and debilitating circumstances, but you're hearing wellness and prosperity. And there's a drastic polarity between what you hear on the inside and what you see on the outside. And God sent me here with this word to confirm. You are not crazy. He's letting you hear it before you see it. I just want all the people that can hear something deep down in your spirit to do what the shepherds did. Lift up your hands and give God praise because if he left you, heard it. I said if he let you, heard it. If he had let you, heard it, it's because he's going to let you see it in your life. And then... And then the next point, the next point is so critical because you can't allow the drought you've been in to get in you. Oh, I got work cut out for me this morning. I said you can't allow the drought that you've been in to be in you. You got to understand when Jesus the Messiah was prophesied and the angel came and gave the shepherds this word, the people hadn't heard a word from God in 400 years. There was no open vision. They had lived to a time that was reminiscent of the time of Samuel where it says the word of the Lord was rare in those days. The light in the temple lamps was about to go out and there was no open vision. So the shepherds and all of the people had been living in the middle of a spiritual drought. You can't allow the droughts that you go through to get in you. You have to be able to go through a dry time, but not be dry yourself. You have to be able to go through a broke time, but not be broke yourself. You have to be able to go through a tense time of warfare, but not be in a warfare with yourself. You can't let the drought you're going through get in you. And I love this about the shepherds because there had been no praise in Israel. There had been no word to respond with praise to. There had been no glorify your Lord. There had been no angels coming down and joining the chorus of singing. There had been nothing like this for 400 years. And yet, when the shepherds saw what the angels had told them about, the Bible says in verse 20, they returned giving glory and giving praise to God. Which means... They didn't let the drought they were going through get in them.
they still had a praise. And I want to tell you, Christian world, no matter what you've been going through, you can't lose your praise. You can't lose that instinct down on the inside to give God glory and to give God a song. You can't lose that instinct down on the inside to make melody in your heart to God. You can't lose that thing down on the inside that when you're washing dishes, you begin to sing his praise. You can't lose that thing on the inside that when you're driving to work, you start humming a song to God. You can't lose your praise because there's something about praise that brings the power and the favor of God on your life. There's something about praise that means you can't stay in a drought. There's something about praise that qualifies you to talk with angels and move in heaven's high places. There is something about praise. And I wondered what was it out of all the shepherds in the whole countryside, Del Rico? What was it about these shepherds that qualified them to be the first evangelist to tell other people about Jesus? God can use anybody, but he prefers to use a praiser. He knew if I give that one the word, they'll give me the praise. He knew if I let that one see the face of Jesus, they'll give me the praise. He knew if I bless that one with a job, they'll never stop giving me the praise. He knew if I heal that one's body, they'll never stop giving me the praise. It's a little dicey, but... God allowed them to qualify for in their future something that was based on what he knew they would do in the past. In other words, they didn't become praisers after they got the word and saw Jesus. They were praisers before. And because they were praisers before, it qualified them to get the word and see Jesus. The enemy loves dry places. I'm going to say it again. The enemy loves dry places. When Jesus cast the devil out of the demoniac, the devils, as they were leaving, they said, we've been in this region a long time. Evil has had a stronghold in this region for a long time. Evil has had a stronghold in this family for a long time. The generational curse of anger, perversion, it's had a stronghold in this family for a long time. We've been in this region a long time. We don't want to give up the foothold, the stronghold of this region. We don't want to give up the families we've been wounding in this region. Would you send us into the pigs? I know we got to leave the man, but would you send us into the pigs so that we can stay in this region? And when Jesus permitted it, those devils went into 5,000 pigs. And the pigs, once the devils entered them, ran into the water and drowned themselves. Later, when the disciples asked Jesus about it, he said, when a demon is cast out of a man, the demon roams through dry places, seeking rest. And finding none, he returns back to the home he was cast out of and finds it swept, clean, and empty. Side note, that's the danger of having an empty house. You need to be filled with something. 
You'll either be full of yourself, full of the devil, or full of the Holy Spirit. But it's a danger to have an empty house. But Jesus said demons roam through dry places. And that's what had caused the perversion of the priesthood. The priesthood that would eventually crucify Jesus Christ. The whole region was dry. That's what caused Herod to murder thousands of children under the age of two years old trying to find Jesus and kill him. It's because the region was dry. There was no worship. There was no praise. And folks, I'm telling you, there's something about a song. I know it sounds simple, but God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. There's something spiritual about a song. There's something spiritual about when you open your mouth and you start singing to God, something spiritual happens. The water begins to turn on in your spirit. Jesus said that when you worship God, it's like rivers of living water coming out of your innermost being. And some of you are dead and dry and about to lose it because you've been in a drought so long spiritually. And I want to tell you the quickest way to get out of the drought is to open your mouth and sing a song to God. Last point, number four, when God lets you see what you heard about, give him praise. The one thing they all have in common, Zechariah, Mary, and the shepherds, is each time the angel gave them the word and then left, they turned up to heaven and Zechariah sang a song. Mary sang a song. The shepherds sang a song. And I want to give you a hidden secret that will help carry you through the rest of this year. Every time you get a chance, open your mouth and sing God a song. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Strong curses, curses that have been the same family. It got grandpa, it got daddy, it got you, it got junior. Strongholds can be broken by our weapons. Our weapons are the word of God, the name of Jesus, and the praises of the Most High God. When you put praise in your mouth, you drive sickness out of your house. When you put praise in your mouth, you drive depressions and spirits of anxiety out of your house. When you put praise in your mouth, and it's important that everybody praises, but it's slightly more important that men praise. Because they have done studies that if a man gets saved and goes to church, 87% of the time, the rest of the family will. If a man lifts his hands during praise and worship and opens his mouth and sings, it's a proven fact. If the children see daddy doing it, they're going to do it. If mama sees daddy doing it, they're going to do it. Men of Christian world, don't be ashamed or afraid to raise your hands in worship. Don't be afraid or ashamed to lift your voice in praise. Don't be afraid or ashamed to find you a song and sing it to God. It's a weapon. It's a weapon. Stand to your feet all over the house. Come on, give him praise and worship all over the house right now. 
Come on, open your mouth. Some of you hadn't opened your mouth in a long time. Lord, we praise you and we thank you. Hallelujah. Somebody say it with me. Hallelujah. It's a weapon. It's a weapon. It's a weapon. It's a weapon. You can't afford not to have weapons. You got a devil trying to fight you. You can't afford to not have weapons. You got sickness and disease coming after you. You can't afford to not have weapons. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Been so good to me. Hallelujah. Oh, y'all might want to get out of here. I'm starting to feel something. Hallelujah. I don't want to mess up the service. I'm starting to feel something. Yeah, yeah. I wish I had about 10 praisers who would give God praise with the fruit of your lips. Hallelujah. I wish somebody would turn the water on. I wish somebody would turn the water on. I wish somebody would turn the water on and let the presence of God cause a flood in your spirit that will wash all the cracks away, wash all the anger away, wash all the negative away. But if you try it, you'd feel his presence. If you try it. There's rest for the weary. There's hope for the hopeless. There's powerful for the faint. Hidden in a simple thing called praise. to your enemy there's someone stronger than me and someone stronger than you that I lift my voice to that I lift my hands to that I pour out my heart to
praise announces to a troubled mind. All of you that battle in your mind, listen to me. Praise announces to a troubled mind that my spirit is still in control. I may go through things in my mind, but I do not walk by what I can see through sensual perception. I walk by the Spirit because God has saved and sanctified my spirit, sealed my spirit, locked my spirit in with Him, and I will walk by the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Praise announces to my past that my future is going to be better. Oh, that's a good one. How could anybody that's been through as much as you have praise the way you are praising? I'm praising by faith because I know God didn't bring me this far to forsake me. And I know my future will be better. Something as simple as clapping your hands with a broken heart lifting up your hands in worship with your mind weighted down with trouble and anxiety dancing in your place with pain in your body David said one time in the Psalms these broken legs will praise you David said if I have to dance on broken bones I can't leave my weapons if I have to praise you with pain all through me I can't leave my weapons because there is something about praising you I found that it sustained me through every hard season of my life I found that it kept me and covered me when all hell was coming against me and so I'll never stop giving you my soul I'll never stop giving you my praise I'll never stop giving you my dance I'll never stop and so in the middle of the classic pristine Christmas story we have the word praise mentioned more than any other theological precept. Praise. You know the kind David talked about? Praise him on the high-sounding cymbals. Praise him with the organs and tambourines. Praise him with the stringed instruments. Praise him with clapping your hands and praise him in the dance. All of a sudden, David's old theology written back in the Psalms begins to take highlight and the angels started doing in heaven what David had been doing on the earth and singing praise. Now, the bad thing is, Del Rico is, bad thing is, the angels weren't supposed to praise. The angels weren't supposed to say glory to God in the highest. No. The angels weren't supposed to do it. That was our job. But they had gotten so dry. The enemy had taken them through such a long protracted season of drought that the people known for praise forgot how. And I came to ask some of you, do you remember what it was like to praise? Some of you know too much not to praise God. Some of you know too much not to wave your hand, not to stomp your foot, not to lift your voice, not to clap your hands, not to dance. 
The problem is you've been dry. But I want to tell you the rain is coming. Oh, I feel it. The rain is coming. I hear in my spirit the sound of the abundance of rain. But no matter what, don't. Don't stop that song. Don't stop that hallelujah. Don't stop the lifting of your hands. Don't stop your shout. We need your shout. Your shout reminds the enemy we are triumphant. Shouting is the language of the victorious. Clapping is the language of the violent. Singing is the language of the passionate. Dancing is the language of the fearless. There are spiritual realities locked up in these things. That when you come to church and you clap during a song, you were doing more than just skins touching skin. That when you shouted out, glory to God. Something more was happening than just words leaving your voice. And I just find it amazing that hidden inside the Christmas story was praise after praise after praise after praise after praise after praise. Maybe God was hinting to us that the two pillars of the Christian life would be salvation through a Savior being born and praise to God for the great things that he has done. I speak the blessing of the Lord over your life. Oh, yeah. I speak the blessing of the Lord over your life. I speak the anointing of the Holy Spirit over your family. I speak the peace and the rest of God over your life. In the name of Jesus Christ.